Welcome to the Mapped Out Money Podcast, where we help you use your money to do more of what matters. You're listening to episode number 80. And today's episode is brought to you by the Mapped Out Money Book Club. Uh, Speaking of the book club, we are actually uh, going to have to delay our next book club. I'll get into that in a second. Um, But every quarter or so, every few months, uh, Hannah and I try to lead a a free book club discussion. um, And it's normally a book that is somewhat related to money obviously. Uh, Right now, we're reading Roger Whitney's Rock Retirement. We were supposed to have the book club this coming Thursday, uh, the 21st, but we are about to- Hopefully, (laughs) going to be closing on- on our building um, and uh, are are neck deep in uh, trying to get all of that done and get all the moving done. And uh, quite frankly, we just haven't gotten through the book the way that we were anticipating. So if you're listening to this and you're on the book club email list, you should have received an email by now. Um, But we are going to push the book club out a little further. Um, If you would like to join us, we'd love to have you go to mappedoutmoney.com forward slash book club to sign up, get your name on the email list. Uh, That's where we're going to send out the emails and the zoom links for the book club meetings. Again, pick up the book Roger Whitney's Rock Retirement. So one of our previous book club reads was Atomic Habits, and Nick and I wanted to revisit this book on the podcast. Um, yeah, I don't think, we've never talked about it on the podcast, right? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. We've mentioned it, but we haven't done like an Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned it a lot because like, it's such a, I don't know, it's such a good book and yeah. like it applies to so much. Um, but we're kind of going to do this episode more of the style of the fun money episode a little bit. It's a little less scripted. Yeah, I want. Well, you know, the thing is, if you want, if you want to go get like uh, a step by step guide to the uh, the book Atomic Habits. At this point, the book's been out for like what five years, probably mm, a while. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you can go find those on YouTube, or you can go read the book yourself, or go listen to James Clear and any number of bajillion interviews he's done. And so I don't I don't think that we're adding anything to it by just walking you through the book step by step. Yeah. So this is going to be more of, you know, what has stuck out to us uh, now and at different points. Yeah, and how we've applied it to ourselves or to clients with their money or yeah. what have you. So one of the first ideas in this book that like really sticks out to me is his whole like melting an ice cube mm-hmm. example and what he refers to as the plateau of latent potential and it's this idea that like when you start doing something healthy like a healthy habit you can do it for a long time and it feels like you're not getting anywhere i mean like we've all we've all had this with like working out right like mm-hmm. you work out 2 days in a row and you're like i should look ripped like i am so sore right now i'm so tired i work so hard and you, so yeah you sore. look in the mirror and you're like oh i still look the same but i can't see them yep and yep. so that's why it's so hard to stick with things because you can be in that period for like weeks or even months you know but um he talks about this idea of like when you're melting an ice cube you see no change from like 25 degrees to 31 degrees but as soon as you hit that 32 degree mark then it starts melting. And it's the same way with like, but you still habits. have to overcome, you know, however many, like if you started yes. at zero, it's like, you got to overcome 31 degrees before yeah. you're going to see change, which is quite a bit. Yeah. But you don't see any difference on the surface. Mm-hmm. Well, it also kind of makes me think of, um, you know, like some of the decisions that we've made lately, even like with, with buying the building and stuff, um, you talking about it as like a pulling back the slingshot. Mm-hmm. Like you really have that with every, Every habit that you do, yeah. right? Um, yeah, there's going to be this period of where you either feel like you're going backwards or you feel like you're 
just not making any progress well, I, at all. I see it in debt pay down a lot, right? Yeah. So like if I'm working with somebody who um, they've got five or six or seven different debts, different credit cards, student loans, credit, uh, you know, car loans or whatever that they're working on, it doesn't feel like you're making much progress in the first few months for sure. Yeah. Um, even if you are making some changes and you're like, man, I'm not eating out as much, like you might even feel it yourself, but you don't actually see the outcome for a while. Totally. Because you're just kind of chipping away at this stuff. But then you knock out that first that first debt, which frees up that monthly payment. And now we can roll that up to the next one, right? And then you kind of hit another plateau for mm-hmm. a little while. And you're kind of at that plateau for maybe six months. Yeah. And then you knock out another one, right? And then, okay, now, and so you, you, you have these like, if you zoom out, it's like an exponential curve. But if you're zoomed in, does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. If you're zoomed in, it, it feels like you're flatlined right. for a while, and then you make a big jump. Yeah. And then you flatline, and then you jump Yeah, over, you know, zoomed out enough, it's an exponential. But when you're in the muck of it, it doesn't it feel doesn't like feel that It doesn't feel that way. Well, okay, here's the other thing that I thought about with this. I think this is particularly hard when you're working on your finances because logically, I think we can all agree that people's stuff and what they have is not a good indicator of their financial health. No. However, subconsciously... We score it that way. We score it that way. Yep. Okay. So you can be working really hard on your finances, and you can be cutting back, not eating out as much, not buying as many clothes, not going on as many vacations, all this stuff. You're really cutting back. And like you see all of that pruning in your life, right? And you're looking around you... And you're seeing all of your friends going on these dope vacations and, oh, they just got a new car and, oh, they just moved into a bigger house in this super great neighborhood. And you see them doing all of these things that can indicate to us financial health, Mm -hmm. but most of the time probably indicate a life with a lot of debt many times and a keeping up with the Joneses kind of mentality. But A, you never know. First of all, but B, so you can be in reality making a lot of progress towards your financial goals, but it can feel like you're not making any or you're moving backwards and your friends are just like skyrocketing past you. Um, Morgan Housel has this great quote in his book, The Psychology of Money. How does he say it? He says something like measuring what how much wealth someone has by the stuff that they have is the exact opposite of what you should be doing yeah because that's a measure of how much money they've spent yeah not a measure of how much wealth they have retained right and appearances can be real misleading yeah to kind of like summarize there i just felt like i think that's a reason why working on your finances is so particularly hard yeah because you have that plateau of latent potential i think that's what yeah plateau of latent potential and then with the people around you you have like the opposite of that and i can't really think of a lot of other habits where you get that second aspect like if you're working on your health and the people around you are not working on their health you most of the time see that you know what i'm saying eventually you'll see yeah, it. yeah like it's not up. it's not gonna look like oh they're like really thriving mm-hmm. and not working on their health um, most of the time. I know that there are exceptions, but I don't know. Finances in particular, that just seems very, very difficult. Going back to your latent potential 
ice cube thing um underneath that section he's got that quote of the stone cutter which mm-hmm. i love and, and have used before um where he says when nothing helps i go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it yet at the hundred and first blow it splits in two and i know that it was not the last blow that did it but all the ones that had gone before and that's exactly how improving your finances are. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about that even with us, you know, like we've been very blessed. And, and so not to like pat ourselves on the back here, because we've been super blessed by God to have what we have and have been able to do what we do. Um, and, and more importantly than that, I would say God has blessed us more in learning this stuff at a young age. And so it just allowed us to not make as many mistakes as we otherwise could have. But, you know, we lived really frugally, especially early in our marriage. Yeah. And that allowed us to get you through grad school without debt. And to a lot of people, especially in our friend group, it probably looked like I was super cheap and um, we were poor and, and whatever else. And and in reality, it's those habits, those budgeting habits that have allowed us to change jobs, move, travel, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, one of the quotes that he has later on in the book is, uh, living below your current means increases your future means. Yeah. And that is so true. Yep. And it and it does feel, I mean, we've talked about how it feels exponential, right? Because like if you can make a few right choices early on, mm-hmm. it just increases your flexibility and freedom so much in the future. And that only compounds. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, that quote, like pay now or pay later comes to mind, right? So what, what most people tend to do, um, be it with their health or their finances or a lot of other habits, is they tend to put off the paying, right? Oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to enjoy this now. I'm going to enjoy not working out and eating whatever and staying up late and all that stuff now. Um, and you're going to pay for that later uh, with sacrificing health as a you know as you age. Um, same with your money. Like if you go into debt now to have a bunch of fun, you, you're going to have to pay for that. It's just not going to be. Um, right this moment. It's going to be later on. And it's it's sort of the opposite, right? You can also go ahead and pay now by making the sacrifices, not having as much fun, you know, kicking some things down the, you know, uh, kicking some desires down the road, not the payment down the road. Um, and then it becomes infinitely easier down the road to be able to do the things that you want to do. So, you know, I think I think that's probably pretty good on that. Well, it, it, ties in, um, it ties in with this idea that he talks about later in the book. I don't know. My summary of it is like, which choice will my future self be glad that I made? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says the cost of your good habits are in the present. The cost of your bad habits are in the future. Yeah. That's solid. and I just think that's so important to remember. And so in those moments where it's like, Oh, it's hard to stick to the budget. And I really don't want to do that. Like kind of um, separating yourself from the moment a little bit and going, okay, but five days from now, which decision will I be glad that I made? Yeah. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Future future Nick, future Hannah, future whoever is going to be really happy that I went ahead and made some sacrifices now yeah. in order to make life easier in the future, for mm-hmm. sure. So one of the things that I, I wanted to go back to on the introduction part of the book is he's sort of trying to sell you on why um, habits matter, you know? Yeah. And... He talk, he's talking about goal setting and traditional goal setting and all that kind of stuff. And just talking about how goals are actually at odds with the long-term. He says, goals are at odds with long-term progress. The purpose of setting a goal is to win the game, whereas the purpose of building a system uh, is to continue playing the game. 
the Infinite game. And, and that's actually, um, you know, Simon Sinek has talked about that. I've watched a, a talk he gave on the Infinite game, and I think he has a book called that as well. But it's really interesting. I'm going to kind of go off in the left field for a second. He, Simon Sinek, talks about this in uh, the Vietnam War and why the U.S. didn't win that war. And it's really, if anybody knows much about the Vietnam War, the U.S. was playing to try and overthrow certain regime and to institute democracy in the way that we have it here in the U.S. And that was the goal. The problem was the Viet Cong, the, the Vietnamese folks, were playing to keep playing. They're fighting for their lives. They're fighting to play the infinite game. They don't have this like finite goal in mind. They're they're playing to keep playing. They're not playing to win, if that makes sense. And he talks about how like that just totally changes the way that you play, the way that you fight, the way that you attack things. And I, I think that that's interesting with like health and fitness, and also with our finances, because with finance, I've seen a lot of people play to win. By like, well, let me just get this debt going. Mm -hmm. Or like, let me try and hit financial independence. Or <laughs> like I said, financial Well, I was going to try and do phi, <laughs> and then I was like, eh, I, should, I should explain that. <laughs> uh, let me try and hit my phi number, right? Or whatever, you know, or let me quit this job and start my business. Or, you know, they have these goals. And the problem that James Clear talks about in this book that I like is when you set this goal and you achieve the goal, then what? Yeah. And you sort of have to keep like setting a bigger goal. Well, and he talks about how it restricts your happiness yeah. to like that one point where you achieve the goal. I'm only happy and when then I get there. Yeah. That's gone really quickly. Yep. Whereas if you set up systems, yep. then you can enjoy, you get that like reward all along the way. You get to way. win every single day. Yeah. That's what's fun. Like, so like our budgeting, you know, in YNAB or whatever, it allows me to win every day. Because, like, every day I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I, ba I balanced it out, you know, or whatever. And yes, it does me too. <laughs> it does you too. Um, it, we just use it differently because I manage it. But, yeah. um, but, but it does. It allows me to win every day. And then every month, um, you know, I take an extra couple of minutes and I, I, uh, I put out our savings rate. Okay, how much did we make that month, and how much did we save and and invest, and and I get to see like, oh, we you know uh, we did ten percent or fifteen percent or twenty percent or whatever it is, and it like it feels like I get to win, and and the win is like the win is kind of achieving the percentage, but the win is actually like just filling out the spreadsheet, yeah, and like you just go like, through your process. going through the process and going like, all right, we did it this month, yeah, great, you know, we'll we'll do it again next month, and so I get to win every time. And I just keep playing that over and over and over again. And that system is going back to the latent potential that kind of goes hand in hand, right? Like if you focus on the system and the habits and you get to win every single day that you execute that habit or that system, then eventually it will sort of get you to the place that you want to go as long as you've chosen the right habits and totally. systems. Totally, yeah. All right, where do we want to go next? Well, I think, um, I, I mean, I have, I have stuff highlighted in every one of the different four rules right mm -hmm. so james clear then spends like the meat of the book is him talking about the bait the habit loop and how habits work you have a cue what is it you have a cue which like sets you up to remember to craving, do the habit response reward yeah cue craving response reward and then he has like laws that go with each of those to try and either create good habits or um squash bad habits oh before we move past this i had this quote 
highlighted, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And I think that it comes back to that idea of like not just drifting Mm -hmm. in your life, that Michael Hyatt quote that we've shared before, and like actually thinking about, you know, what are the things I want to work towards? Mm -hmm. And am I taking action steps? Am I implementing habits? Am I building systems to help me get there? Or am I just letting things happen to me and then and then kind of almost like, I don't know, like, right, well, I guess I'm just not meant to do those things because, you know, all of the stuff just keeps happening to me. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like you talking about that, you're you're sort of hitting on the point that like you probably wouldn't even read this book if you didn't believe there was at least a chance that you are somewhat responsible for your situation. Yeah. And you can change it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like. Um, it goes back to the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, which the goal of that book is really, you know, getting you to believe that you do have some agency and some control over your situation and you can grow out of it. Um, you're totally right, though, because you're not going to even try to change your habits and behavior if you think that you are 100% a product of what life has given you and you have no agency over it. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing that I kind of like pulled out here was – you know, it's really overwhelming when you think about like, oh, I need to improve my finances and I need to improve my health and I need to improve my relationship with my family and my kids. And, um, you know, you can just have all of these things mm-hmm. that you need to improve and it can be really, really overwhelming. And so recognizing like, yeah, OK, to a certain degree, I have to function from an unconscious level in order to to be able to get through the day, right? Like you can't be... You can't consciously think about everything. Everything, that you have to do, right? yes. Yeah. And so setting up those systems and and recognizing seasons in your life. So saying, okay, for the next quarter, I'm really going to focus in on improving my health mm-hmm. and working out every day. And then kind of once you get that system in place where you're not missing workouts, you're being consistent and everything, then you can go, okay, I'm kind of going to put this on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing, but I'm not further optimizing it for now. And now I'm going to focus in on improving this other that's a, thing. That's a good point. You know, we had a um, we had somebody in our class the other day ask, um, is it always going to take this much time? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, you're like, no. Is it, all, is it always going to mean like this much that I have to do my budget and stuff like that? And it's like, no. Like I, I legitimately spend less than... For sure, less than five minutes a day. Yeah. In our personal budget. Yeah. Um, like it just these days, it's just just super super quick and automatic and like running the system. Yeah. That we have. Well, and I mean, we used to have um, I don't know, you know, budget meetings where mm-hmm. we were much more in the weeds Way of more our budget. Rigid on it. Yeah. Okay, can we cut this little thing? Can we scrimp here? Can we do this? You know, mm-hmm. and now our quote unquote budget meetings are much more like life planning, big picture. Yeah, what are more, we working more towards? Quarterly. Like yeah. we can do it every couple of months now yeah. instead of because we're both we both are checking the budget before we spend. Right? Yeah. So that's the key habit. And then we don't necessarily have to like talk in depth and make changes except for once a quarter. Yeah. So our attention can go to to these other other things we need to improve. Yep. Yeah. So do you want to just jump into like the the four rules that he has and pull out any of the things that we liked from those? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. So the first one I liked, he, so the first rule is to make it obvious um, if you want to implement. And, and the way he breaks it up is he has like the rule and then the inversion of the rule. But the make it obvious one, 
I like that he pointed out that the two most common cues are time and location. So at this time, I do this, you know, and this is, you know, a lot of times your life is dictated by certain things, right? Like, oh, at this time, I take the kids to school because school starts. Mm -hmm. So I have to like drop them off, right? Or whatever. And then location is also part of it, right? Like, oh, I have to go to this place to drop the kids off at school. You know, I have to go to school. And so your time and location dictate that, that cue. But what he talks about is how you can impact your environment, right? You can put stuff, objects or whatever, like you can, you can change your environment to help make the desired habit obvious by changing the time and location of something, which I think is a really important way to think about it. Um, I feel like your example there wasn't great because, like, you couldn't change the time and location of, like, dropping your kids no, off No, but at you school. can modify that, though, right? So what I'm saying is, like, okay, so let's play with the school example um, for a second. Let's say that you were trying to find a good time in your day to check the budget. Mm-hmm. Well, for a lot of, especially moms who are, like, if they're the ones in charge of getting the kids up and, like, taking them to school or whatever, the idea that you're going to have time to get up, get yourself ready, do what you need to do, get the kids ready and get to school on time and like you're going to now try and check the budget in there is like not going to happen for a lot of people and so that would just be really trying to force something that works for somebody else but that doesn't really make sense in your situation right now but what you could do is have it so later on in the book he talks about habit stacking right Mm -hmm. so like stacking a desired habit with a habit that you already do no matter what Mm -hmm. and in the school example i'm like great you could use dropping the kids off at school as the trigger to check your budget so it's like especially so like let's let's say it's a stay-at-home mom in this example after i drop the kids off at school i'll stop at the coffee shop at the coffee shop check check my budget budget. and i don't go home until it's done yeah because once you get home or once you get to work now there's like a bajillion other things that you need to be doing yeah that you're gonna just i'll do the budget later do the budget later do the budget later and so that would be one place where it's like looking at your environment and then implementing something, right? And so even if it's, you know, putting a sticky note on your car, just like your old sticky note that said, don't forget to put gas in the tank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, put a sticky note that says like, check the budget after school or, you know, whatever. I just like the idea of like trying to make it really obvious. There was a time period where I removed all the home, uh, all the apps on the home screen of my phone put them on the second page and just had the budget on the first one. Yeah. Right. So they're like, you open up the phone and the first, the only thing that I see is the budget app. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I should probably check that. Yeah. Well, and so to go back, you know, you were talking about, cause you mentioned like the whole dropping your kids off at school example. And then you talked about how you can alter your environment to make um, decisions easier and habits that you want to yeah, yeah. implement easier. So, you know, even things like, Oh, you keep your gym bag in the front seat of your car. So if you're trying to go to the gym more. And so every time you get in the car to drop your kids off at school, you see the gym bag sitting there next to you. And so, I mean, a lot of times you'll, you'll end up going like, oh, well, I might as well go to the gym. Might as well go. Yeah. Yeah. The the gym one's really cool too, from the standpoint of like, you can actually change your gym. You know, uh, people will ask uh, Jocko about jujitsu, like, oh, how do I? What's the best jujitsu gym I should join? He's and like he's the like, one close the to your one house. Closest to your house is the, yeah. that's the one you should join. And <laughs> there's so much truth to that. And like with the gym, it's like okay, is there a gym between school and home? If there is, 
that's the one you're joining. Yeah. Uh, because you have to drive by it and you've got to look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, I need to go there. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of muddying the waters a little bit. I hope we're not making this confusing. But, you know, he talks about like an implementation intention formula, which is like I will insert whatever behavior mm-hmm. at insert whatever time in insert whatever location. And so having that kind of formula in your head for things that you're trying to improve helps trigger that action for you. And then like the habit stacking formula is after insert current habit, I will insert new habit. Um, And so again, kind of, I think different ones of those, I think the habit stacking formula tends to work better for me. I think it tends to work better for most people because well, very I don't know few that that's people, true. You think so? You don't think so? Here's the deal. We work from home and we don't have kids yet. So we don't have um, these rigid. Time yes. Things. We don't have rigid times. And so like different things happen at different times of our day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't count on, oh, every day the kids have to be dropped off at school at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so, it's easier for me to to do the habit stacking thing. Whereas if, if I had to be at the office at 8.30 every day, then I think time cues might work better for me. Totally. The obvious one is also interesting too from the inverse, right? So he talks about making it invisible. So if obvious is like, oh, I want to play guitar more, so I should put the guitar in the middle of my bedroom instead of in the closet. Yeah, so now cave. you're talking like environment cues. Right, the environment cues. So it's still kind of under the obvious rule of of going, okay, well, if I want to play guitar more, let me put it in the middle of my room versus in the closet or whatever. This makes it more obvious to me. Same thing with budgeting, just yeah. like putting a wine app on your home screen. Well, and like just with life in general, like it's no mystery why like we all watch so much TV now, totally. right? Like our, our houses are like set up around the and TV. The entire focal point of a house yeah. is centered it's around the, the obvious thing TV. to do. It's the easy thing to do. Yes. And so like we fall into this yeah. hours and hours and hours of TV a day. No, you're totally right. And that's, and that's where the making it invisible comes into play with a bad habit. So the inverse of squashing a bad habit is make it disappear so that it doesn't cue you up. Yeah. Or make it harder. So we did this like in our house in Fairhope, um, we had a TV, but we kept it like unplugged in the closet. Mm-hmm. And so when we wanted to watch TV, we could. We just yeah, had to just get, get it, it out. out and plug it in and wait for it to like reboot or whatever it does. Um, yeah. And it did help a lot because, you know, sometimes I was like, yeah, it's worth it. I want to go through all that to watch whatever movie we want to watch. Um, yeah, other times I was like, eh, I'll just read. It makes it more of an event, too, though. That's what's fun about it is like I think TV has become this default in American life where it's just on. Yeah. Whereas if it's if if you got to do a little bit more work to get it, it it makes it like, oh, what are we going to do and what are we going to watch? And let's get popcorn. Like it becomes a whole experience, Mm -hmm. which is very different than just like having it on all the time, mindlessly watching the next whatever. Yeah. To add one of his little thoughts there, he said, stop thinking about your environment as filled with objects and start thinking of it as filled with relationships. So I think that's so helpful. And this this is kind of an idea that he has later in the book. So I'm kind of muddying your whole like, um, I don't know, your structure that you have here. But he talks about what does he call them? Hang on, let me find it. Okay. 
he talks about what he refers to as decisive moments and that many habits occur at a decisive moment, choices that are like a fork in the road and either send you in the direction of a productive day or an unproductive one. Okay, for me, a huge one is looking at my phone in the morning. Mm -hmm. So when I get up out of bed and I go to brush my teeth, if I brush my teeth and start looking at Instagram on my phone, you're done. It wrecks. (laughs) I mean, it seriously, it throws off my whole day. I do. I move slower doing everything. I'm like slower getting into work. Mm -hmm. It, It just makes me feel like, I think I feel like I started the day in a really negative way. And so it makes me less productive when I'm trying to work. Like it just throws my whole thing off so here's here's an interesting question because this i think it might be different for both of us um it's this is true for both of us but i i'm wondering if it's different reasons so with you is it the content itself on instagram no that no impacts your mood no or is it just that you're distracted it's just that i'm distracted and i start my day slower no i have my instagram feed like so curated i like only follow like <laughs> designer type people that yeah, I like, like interior design, whatever. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So it's not like I'm getting like negative political stuff in there or anything. It's just the fact that I get sucked in yeah. and it's addictive. And so like I scroll it while I brush my teeth and then I scroll it while I make my coffee. And then I look up and what should have taken me 15 minutes has taken me an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it just starts my whole day off like, oh, and I, I feel like I'm after I do that, I'm like beating myself up like, oh, my gosh, I just wasted like so See, much mine, time. Mine is much more like uh, emotionally, uh, emotionally. Yeah. yeah, mine's way more emotional. Um, It is like if I get on Twitter and I see something that like is really good or exciting or like jazz me up, I'll be like, oh, man, I'm feeling good today. Yeah. You know, and then if I get on Twitter and I see some really like, you know, bad argument or the world's going to, you know, blow up because everything's terrible and whatever, then it will Starts totally affect my mood that negative way. Yeah. Um, um, and that's so to, to tie it back into the environment, I've been thinking about, OK, when we move into our apartment, how can I set the environment up to where I'm less likely to do that? To do that. Yeah. And so um, and also like, you know, I've. I, have heard a lot of um i don't know bible teachers christian influencers i don't know whatever (laughs) talk about you know the importance of um having like the word of god be the first thing that you're Mm. looking at in the morning and so i really yeah i'm like i don't want to look at instagram first i want to be going to my bible first and so thinking about that I, i was talking to nick yesterday about having like a designated phone area especially for in the morning time Mm mm-hmm and so, okay, if I use the alarm on my phone, which also I'm going to try to get away from that once we're like in a set environment and have have a separate alarm An clock. Alarm clock. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, so getting away from using my phone as an alarm, first of all, so that I'm not forced to look at my phone first thing in the morning because you turn that alarm off and it's just so easy to go right into Instagram. And I don't even have the Instagram app on my phone or anything. Like yeah. I literally have to go You've in and type made it a in. Bit more difficult. Yeah, and I have to log easy. in every time, and I'll still do it. So um, having a designated phone area where okay, my phone is on the charger and it's over here. And not even turning off notifications, like I'll keep notifications on. And if somebody tries to text me or call me or whatever, 
That's I'll fine. look at that, but yeah. I'll go over to where my phone is plugged in, deal with whatever notification it is, and then leave the phone in that spot yeah. until, you know, maybe 10 or something in the morning. And um, I think that's a good one. Yeah. And then also, I want us to make sure that, like, whatever, like, while we've been at my parents' house in this transition period waiting to close on, on our building, we've been doing Bible study outside. Yeah. And so we can't, like, leave our stuff out there overnight, you know? But in our, um, in our apartment, I want us to make sure that, like, okay, we leave our Bible study out on the table, on the dining room table. Just make it really easy. Yes. Yeah. And so we make our coffee and there's all of our stuff on the table mm-hmm. ready for us. Um, so yeah, I've just been trying to think about things like that and ways that we can set up our space. Well, that so going back to what you said, you actually mentioned it earlier and then you didn't loop back to it, but I wanted to draw attention to like making a decision one time. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So you make this decision one time of like, mm-hmm. we're going to set up our kitchen this way so that the Bible study stuff is there, or we're going to set up this phone area over here so that it's there, right? Or like in finance, I'm going to set up my credit card to auto pay so that I never have a late payment again. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like so obvious to do that, but yet so many people just don't take the time to like just log in and set up auto pay. your investment so you don't accidentally spend that money instead of investing it. Yes. Like even us, we have like uh, I don't know, just psychologically, it's so funny. Like, we have a couple different automatic investments of lower amounts, but more often oh, because okay. psychologically, it makes me feel like, ah, oh, we're, yeah. It helps another, you feel like, another like a $15, win, another, you know? Like, little yes. Win. Yeah. Like, and so it feels dumb. Like, I could just automate our investing to once a month, once a month deposit everything after we get paid. But it just feels like we're doing more or yeah. something if it's like, no, every Monday we do this and then every Tuesday it goes here. And it's like it's so dumb, but it, it setting up that automatic thing like that just significantly increases the amount that we invest and it increases how I feel about how we invest. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just totally blowing up your structure thing. That's fine. Um, but, <laughs> but that ties in with this whole idea of like to get a habit to stick, you need to feel immediately successful. Yes. And so like you're kind of giving yourself those little like hits of dopamine much more regularly. Totally. So it makes it more fun and more likely that you're going to stick to that mm-hmm. habit of investing. So I think that's a really powerful thing to think about too. Like what are some ways that I can do that for myself. You know, maybe I'm, I'm achieving the same end goal. Um, at the end of the day, I'm investing, you know, I don't know, $200 a month. But if I break it up into these little increments, I get to feel like I'm winning much more often. Well, because, you know, because I do pay attention to the market a little bit. Now, that's a whole other habit. <laughs> that we can decide whether or not that's, <laughs> that's like the weirdest laugh. <laughs> well, I got, like a, I got a coffee cough. stuck in my I got coffee stuck in my throat. Cough um, laugh. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> this is true in here. <clears throat> uh, um, sorry about that. Y'all won't understand that. But um, what was I saying? You were saying um, I don't know investing more often. Yes. So. Okay. So I pay attention to the market a little bit, right? And that what I was saying is like that's maybe another habit that we should talk about, maybe squashing, but. But I do pay attention to the market a little bit, certainly the crypto markets. And if I see a big dip, but I'm not I'm not buying anytime soon, I feel like I'm missing out. Yeah. You know, I feel like, no, like, like oh, we're not set up again to invest for another 30 days because we just just invested last week, you know, so it's not, not again until next month. 
and I feel like I'm missing out on the market dip. And so now we have an investment going to Vanguard every single Monday. We have an investment going to our crypto portfolio every Tuesday. And like, it just feels like, okay, I'm always going to get a piece. You know, I'm always going to get a little bit. Um, And it just psychologically feels like a win. Makes it more attractive. I'm glad. Um, So the other kind of idea here is what's immediately rewarded is repeated and what's immediately punished is avoided. So we have talked about um, when we were living in Fairhope, we were getting up really early and working out first thing in the morning. Yeah. And really, I... like we were punishing ourselves. Yeah. And so I, (laughs) I like... I don't know. I can't get up and like go out into public without like first showering. I need to shower and I need to have like a base level do you of remember, my face on. Do you remember when we were training for our half marathon living in Chattanooga? We would get up psycho early mm-hmm. and go run. Mm-hmm. And I would be like talking 90 to nothing, like super like yeah, jazzed up. You and have you, always woken up ready to go. You would be like so like just I mean, I think a couple of times I was like, literally, me. you need to shut up right now. Like, I was, I was <laughs> I not am a fun miserable right partner. now, and I need you to be miserable with yeah, me. Yeah, you were acting yeah. way too perky, and <laughs> it's just making me angry. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I'm not unhappy in the morning. I'm just. You got to ease into it a little bit. I'm just quiet. I'm yeah. So, um, anyways, when we're in Fairhope. I was getting up really early to like shower and try to make myself a human before we went to the gym. And then, you know, like we were working out and then we were coming back and I was showering again. And then we were like getting breakfast ready. And I didn't really feel like, ah, the reward. We get to like enjoy our morning now until. It was like three and a half hours probably. Yeah. Maybe four. Yeah. It was like a long period. It was a very delayed reward for waking up so early. Mm -hmm. And so now. When we wake up early, we get to go and sit and have our coffee and read our Bibles together. And that feels like a really big reward, like us starting our day, like connected and like... Well, let me say a couple things there too. One, I would say if you are listening to this and if you're not a Christian, you're certainly probably not going to fully get that maybe as far as why it's attractive to us. But um, if you are a Christian, you might even be wondering like, man, I just, I don't feel that. Like, I don't feel... Like reading my Bible is a reward. Yeah, because um, we would have said that too. I would have like, said that too. And so that, that, that's what I wanted to point out was like we. Um, it's not always been that way. Mm-hmm. Like the more you do it, the more absolutely. You enjoy it, and so sure. we've found even just within the past eighteen months, maybe. Yeah. Um, as we've been much more consistent, we're with like, oh, hey, Bible, we like actually want to do this. It's, it's gotten. It's becoming more. In James Clear's language, more attractive to us. It's, yeah. it's we we sort of crave it more, mm-hmm. um, and so these days we crave coffee. We're starting to crave our Bibles more, and we really enjoy talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And so it's like these three things that we really want to do, and if we do them first thing, it makes getting up way easier. Yeah, totally. And you saying that this is not Atomic Habits, but this whole idea of like you love what you know. Mm-hmm. And how do you know something? I mean, you you study it. And so, like, how do we how do we know God? We read his word, you know? And so, like, the more you do that, the more you're going to know God and love him. Because it's hard to love something that you don't know. And that goes for, like, anything that you're wanting to get more into. Totally. So, like, whether that's painting or golfing or whatever, the more you learn about it, the more you're going to love more it, into probably. It. Well, I've heard somebody, was it you, you read something? I don't know. I heard somebody talk about that in relation to marriage. 
Like the oh. more that you are a student of your spouse. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think it was me talking um, about it. But. The more that you're a student of your spouse and you're like, oh, what? what is Hannah into? Mm-hmm. Like if I studied you the way that I would study a character in a book or something, mm-hmm. right? Like it sounds kind of funny to say it that way, but. I know I was about to say, you might be a little bit creepy, but. But uh. no, but like, like, oh, <laughs> no, oh, Hannah has this interesting trait or Hannah has this interesting hobby that she's into or, oh, she, when, when this happens, she kind of like reacts this way. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, we were um, just talking the other day how often it's just so easy to like miscommunicate slash overlook or I, I don't know. So like, I mean, you can ask like a straight up question. Like I could ask you, um, what are you like super interested in? What do you want to do right now? And I mean, on, you probably have an answer for me because we talk about this <laughs> stuff a lot. But when, Most we, people won't. when yeah. we first got married and stuff and you would ask me questions like that, I was like, I don't know. I, I'm not interested in anything. I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's not true. It's just that like... I felt like kind of put on the spot and like, well, it's just hard to the, think of at things. At the time, you especially um, felt overwhelmed with school. And so like, it felt like a useless conversation yeah. because it felt like, okay, well, I'm so overwhelmed right now with all this other crap. Like, what's the point of even talking about this? Because yeah. I can't do any of it anyways. Mm-hmm. So who cares? So anyways, what I was getting at, and again, this is outside of Atomic Habits, but it just goes along with what we're talking about. Um, I was reading... There's this YouTube chick that I like. She's like crazy impressive. Uh, The Bliss Bean. She hasn't been putting out YouTube videos here lately, but she's like taking a break. She's super young and she does all this like productivity planning type stuff. And she wrote a book. So I just got her book because I wanted to support her. And um, I was reading through what she says about planning and visioning and everything. And she was talking about, you know, using a vision board, Mm -hmm. which is not a new idea to me. I hear people talk about that all the time. And I tend to not use vision boards for planning type things. Um, well, me and you are both a little bit a more, little bit more analytical. Yeah. yeah. So like if I'm using a vision board, it's going to be for like the way I want to decorate something Some or board. something yeah, like that. Really. Um, but anyways, I thought it was a really interesting idea, especially if you are married and you have a hard time like having these conversations with your spouse and getting those off the ground. And you feel like every time you try to bring things up, you try to you kind of like hit a dead end, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Um, I think the vision board thing is a really cool idea. So if like both of you individually pick out just whatever pictures stick out to you, what inspires you, what do you look at and go like, oh man, I'd love to go there. Or like even as small as like, oh, I love this color. Yeah, the prompt is like, it's like a create a collage of pictures that like would represent a future that you would be excited about. Yeah. But I mean, even that feels can be, cause then you like start really analyzing it. Right. Like, I don't know. Am I excited about this? Like literally just put anything on there that just like catches that your you eye like. yeah. and you just kind of like, like, I don't know. I just kind of liked this red color for some reason, Yeah, you know? And so put that all on a board and then come together. And I feel like you have these moments of going like, Oh, I didn't know you liked that color. Or, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe we could work that into the way that we're decorating somehow. Yeah, like one or, of the funniest things is when I'm working with a couple that's been together for 20 or 30 years and we're talking about vision stuff or they're going through an exercise on this and literally one of them will go, I, never, I didn't know that. I, I didn't even know that about yeah. you. Yeah. So that happens all the yeah. time. So just back to this idea of like studying each other and like learning about each other, I think that that can sound really daunting. And I think that the whole vision board thing can be a really interesting low key way to kind of do that. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So back to, back to money, like doing this process is going to make, make budgeting and planning with your money a lot more appealing. 
it's got to be attractive to you, right? Back to what you said, how did you say it when um, you want to get an immediate win? Is that what you said? Uh, uh, with the book? It was like you when you enact a habit of like... Yeah, you, to get it to stick, you need to feel immediately successful. You need to feel immediately successful. And so back to like planning with your money, if you can make the connection of how budgeting is going to help you achieve these vision ideas that you have, these dreams that you have, these things that you care about, you're way more likely to stick with it. You're way more likely to want to do it. You're much more attracted to do it because you're like, oh, every extra whatever, 10 bucks that we don't spend eating out, we can put it towards this dream vacation that we've always talked about but never done yeah. or put it towards getting a dog that we've talked about but never done you know, or, or whatever it is on your, on your dream board. The other, the other thing I wanted to mention that you talked about was, um, the more you study something, the more that you end up loving it. That's true for finances as well. Like I know for a lot of people, finance is like this sort of necessary evil, right? It's like, you have to use money. So you got to learn a little bit about it, but you don't really like it. But the more that you can learn about how money works and different investment options available to you and how to grow it and how to use it. I do think that a lot of people do start to enjoy the process a lot more. I would agree. And so, you know, surrounding yourself with money podcasts or YouTube videos or whatever, and just exposing yourself a lot more to that type of material, the more you're going to like it and the more you're going to be excited about pursuing, you know, using it well. Yeah. Well, okay. That feeds perfectly into like your tribe yeah, the environment. Yeah, so yeah. let's kind of jump there. So he's got... Well, I don't want to convolute like environment, like the space that you're living in with like... Environment of people that you're yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. They're a little bit different. So he has... Um, so culture. Join mm, a culture where yes. your desired behavior is the normal behavior and you already have something in common with the group. Well, and it's... Okay, so there's so much here. Gosh, um, it's it's all it all it, it is convoluted because it's all mixed together. So like, well, that's why I have a hard time talking about this book like in the strict in the structure, structure because, because it's it all, all together. Yeah, like to make it attractive. Okay, mm-hmm. so like with the environment of the people, the culture you're around, you you can make it easier, which is his third rule. If like everybody around you is doing it, it's more easy for you to do it. Totally. You can also make it attractive. Because if everybody around you is doing it, you get patted on the back when you do it. Mm -hmm. And so it feels attractive to do, right? This is why you can have entire families where like everybody's a doctor, right? It's like you can have whole families, aunts, uncles, everybody's a doctor. Why? Because that's what we do. That's what we do in this family, you know, or whatever. And And you feel uh, like part of the tribe when you do it too. part of the tribe. So consciously choosing, this is why CrossFit's a thing, you know, and CrossFit gets a lot of hate or whatever from a lot of people, but CrossFit's done so much right and i think a lot of it is because of the the tribe that they create you get this you know group of people where the normal behavior is caring about your health and fitness Mm -hmm. and then it feels like you get patted on the back when you care about your health and fitness well and anytime you like quote unquote suffer together i feel like you're like immediately bonded so even like with people in ahead of 100 i think there's an element of that like okay we're kind of we're all kind of like trudging through this budget thing together going through it together and yeah i think you start feeling like connected with people over that and um um so right here i want to i just want to read this because i'm like oh i am so guilty of like this type of thing just talking about how important your the culture is and the people that you're around One study found that when a chimpanzee learns an effective way to crack nuts open as a member of one group and then switches to a new group that uses a less effective strategy, 
it will avoid using the superior nutcracking method just to blend in with the rest of the chimps. So I have felt this way before, like... Um, if we're trying to focus on our health and like maybe I think about like ordering a salad out at a restaurant, mm-hmm. but like we're with people who don't really focus on that. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be like that guy, the one like, that like gets uh, a salad and salad. is like that fun yeah. sucker and like, <laughs> you know, everybody else is like eating whatever. And um, so I, I definitely like analyze things that way. Well, it's just and want to blend in and go along with it's what everybody's human. doing. And, and so, you know, not to go down a really, you know, sort of darker rabbit hole, but like, um, I was listening to a, a Jocko, uh, podcast, uh, it's been a, maybe a month or two back and they were talking about research around like depression behavior. So like, um, cutting or suicide, So tied in they with will the see, they will see clusters of people, entire towns that have much higher suicide rates yeah. than another town. Just, just, you know, 30 mm-hmm. miles away. Um, that seems crazy. It seems crazy when you objectively go, what? So somebody committing suicide makes you more likely? And it's like, if you were close to them, yes. And and so it, it really is interesting how this impacts every area of your life. And the people you're around just matters so, so, so much. Yeah. And along those same lines, just being really aware yeah. of how much the people that you're around do affect you yep, um, or have the potential to affect you. And that if you're around people where you don't want that to be the case, um, that you take the necessary steps to fight against that. Yeah. yeah um, and that I want to mention Tim Urban's um his whole social survival mammoth. Oh uh, the article is why you should stop caring what other people think. Um, and I think we should do a whole episode on that we at some point. Yeah. But if you have not read Tim Urban um, and you struggle with what people think, go read that article. It's really good. I like, I love that article. It's probably yeah. my favorite one he's done. Well, but you're totally right. So like, for example, uh, when it comes to spending money, we've had, I mean, countless, countless people in our group program talk about how when they stopped spending money in the way that they used to, they got comments and pressure from mm-hmm. family or friends because it was like, what, you don't want to go shopping with us today? But mm-hmm. we always go shopping. It's like, nah, it's not really in the budget right now. And so I don't want to tempt myself by going to the store. Yep. It's just better that I don't go. And that goes back to another habit, which is like, make it invisible. Don't even go to the store if you right. don't have money to spend in the store. Right. Because right? then you'll just be tempted. Well, it's that one-time decision. Totally. You make the one-time decision not yeah. to go instead of going to the store and having to 50 times deny right. yourself buying whatever it is It's like want. an alcoholic. Like, they don't need to – if you're an alcoholic and you're trying to not drink, don't go to a liquor store. Yeah. Don't go stand and be like, I'm just looking. It's like, yeah. no, don't, don't go. Uh, but anyways, back to the environment. So then it's like – all this other stuff, because our culture has like this uh, this thing with budgeting, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like you only have to do that if you're poor. Yeah, if you're budgeting, <laughs> you're poor. And it's like no, it's normally the opposite. Yes, it's normally you're poor because you don't budget, right? Yeah. Um. So so they'll get they'll get pushback, right? And it's like, well, are you are you guys struggling with money? Like, is this? Well, here's the other thing too. And it's if like, you, no, I'm just trying to be conscious. If about you it. are working on improving your finances, if you're working on improving your health, if you're working on improving any habit. And the people around you have probably had the thought in the back of their head of, I need to be working on that thing, but Mm -hmm. they're not. Mm -hmm. And they see you working on it. It makes them uncomfortable. So here we get to the Mary Laura Philpot idea of, you know, the whole crabs in a bucket thing where like if if uh, you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one of them is able to like 
get Start on top of the others and climb out. out. Yeah. Um, the other crabs are going to reach up and pull, pull them back down. down. And I like Mary Laura Philpot because she said that that felt like too aggressive because a lot of times it's our friends and family who are yeah. kind of doing that to us. And they're not, they're not crabs. She says that they're sloths on a waterbed. It's like, you're all on this waterbed together of, you know, being in debt and using your money for fun vacations when maybe you can't actually afford that fun vacation and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when you start to climb off that waterbed, well, it's rustling everybody else around and making yeah. them uncomfortable. And they're yeah. like, hey, hey, bro, uh, stop rustling our waterbed around. OK, yeah. it's not necessarily that they want anything bad for you. It's just that you're making them uncomfortable. Totally. And so that can sometimes come out in discouraging uh, comments or behaviors. So I think the, the practical point for this, you know, takeaway is we're not telling you that if your friends and family are causing you or to spend more money or if they have bad financial behavior that you need to no longer be around them. That's not what we're saying. They're friends and family. Don't pull away from them. We're, we need, still need to love them and, yeah. and be around them. You just need to be aware. But you need to be aware of how they are going to influence you and you need to mitigate that by trying to surround yourself with other people who do have yeah. the good financial so habits. So maybe that's that an want. online community. Maybe that's a, no, just a, a separate group of friends that yeah. you develop through common interests or whatever, totally. wherever you live. Um, but yeah, so it's like, okay, get get another input, another culture input mm-hmm. that is like encouraging you and helping you in that direction. Um, and then also... Help yourself not worry so much about what other people think. Totally. Okay, so I have another one since we're kind of just hopping around here. Okay. Uh, I wanted to talk about identity as it relates to this book. So James Kerr spends a great deal of time in this book talking about tying your habits into an identity. And so an example that he might give would be um, if you identify yourself as an athlete, that would be a title that you would say, I'm an athlete and you want to embrace that as an identity, then you're much, much more likely to work out every day because you're asking, well, what would an athlete do? Well, they would train. That's what they would do, right? One of the examples I read on his blog years ago, which I loved, was the differentiating words. And so the idea of can versus don't, or can't versus don't, someone who is trying to stick to a budget might say, no, I, I, I can't go out tonight because I don't have money in the budget. Eh, the problem is that sounds restrictive. That sounds like you really want to go out, but you can't because the budget's telling you you can't. Whereas if you would tie this into an identity of like, I want to be someone who is wise with their money. I see myself as someone who is wise with their money. And what do wise people do? Well, they don't break their budget. That's what they do. Right. It's not that they can't break their, they don't. They choose mm-hmm. not to. So anyways, um, the identity thing's really, really important. But it can have some problems where like if you put your identity on the wrong thing, then you end up trying to do these habits that support that identity. But by choosing the wrong place to put your identity in and it can limit you in other ways to grow beyond that. So, I mean, ultimately, if you listen to this podcast, it's no surprise that Hannah and I are Christians. We believe that we should find our identity in Christ and find the actions that we should live by in the Bible. And if you believe that, then as it relates to your money, there's tons of passages in the Bible about how we should be using our money. And if our identity is someone who wants to follow Christ, and our identity is wanting to pursue what God says in his word, well, that means we need to be a good steward with our money. And that means we need to store up for the future. And that means we need to 
give to the poor and the needy. And that means we need to do all these things. And if we put our identity here and then remind ourselves, okay, well, then how would a Christ follower use his money? Well, now it becomes really obvious what we should be doing. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing to pull out there is like if you start finding your identity in things like what your job is, um, the car you drive, things like that. He makes the the comment that like the tighter you cling to an identity, and I would say like a false identity, mm-hmm. the harder it is to grow beyond it. So like if you cling to like I am a college professor, yeah, and then like you lose They're your not. job or <laughs> you retire or whatever, all of a sudden you're you're floundering. Like yeah. you do not know and you see the same thing with people who get so who start finding their identity in like a certain goal that they're working towards. Mm-hmm. When you reach that point, I think a lot of people feel like I don't I don't know what I'm doing now. now. Yep. Well we struggle with that for two, two and a half, three years. We were solely focused on becoming full time RVers. Mm-hmm. Then we lived in an RV for three years. Mm-hmm. So it was like for five and a half years of our life, which is a significant portion, it's over half of our marriage, we have been like, we are RVers. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we're not. Yeah. And, and I did like, struggle with that. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard when you when you wrap your identity so much into that. I mean, I took Airstreamers out of our bio on Instagram. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And. And uh, but th- so back to the book, the way that James Kerr talks about it that I liked was that once you hone in on the identity that you're trying to create and then the habits that that identity would follow through with, every time you do that habit, every time you actually successfully complete it, it's a vote. He, what does he say? He said, you're casting votes for your new identity. I like framing it up. I mean, this is a minor difference, but I like framing it up as like you're casting votes for the type of person totally. that you want to be. Yeah. Um, you know, like I want to be the type of person who wakes up early to spend time in the Bible with my husband. I want to be the type of person who doesn't miss a workout. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be the type of person who works hard on the the projects that are important to us. That's going to that's gonna cause you to really desire to stick with this. It's going to make it really attractive because you really want to be. Yeah, it's like a strong why. Yeah. Okay, so I've got I've got one more nugget I want to pull out here. And it, it's from the, like the very end of the book. He's got this advanced section or advanced tips. And... He has this line where he says, play a game that favors your strengths. If you mm. can't find a game that favors you, create one. I'm gonna re- I wanted to relate this to budgeting. Um, so many times I see so many people try to play someone else's financial game, right? Oh, so-and-so's, uh, they're, they're making money this way. Maybe I could do that. They're investing in real estate. They're, they're investing in real estate. Yeah. I should invest in real estate. Or, oh, they, they cut all these subscriptions. I should cut those subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Or they use app. I should use YNAB, right? Or, well, their YNAB has 400 categories in it. I should have 400, right? And it's like, no, 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 no. Um, and so just really trying to have some sort of self-awareness to like- Play your own game. Play your own game is really, really important. And, you know, the number one mistake I see with budgeting is uh, people create these super complicated budgets. I just went through this two weeks ago with a client where they had five or six different accounts- couple different checking accounts, savings accounts, and three or four credit cards. It was quite a few. And then they had, we counted them up, and they had, I think, maybe close to 100 categories. 
know, all these different things. And, and I get it. They're midlife. You know, they're in their 40s. They got two kids. One's in college. One's in high school. They got a lot of moving parts, lots of spending and different things going on in different directions. Kids are in activities. And so they're really trying to break all that out, right? So they might have 10 categories just for the kids, right? Oh, well, here's their normal spending. And then here's their school costs. And then here's their supplies. And here's their clothing. And here's their this activity. And, this, and it's like, oh, my gosh, right? And so then it becomes a nightmare to manage. And they just don't do it. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, strengths and weaknesses aside, recognize that the, the season of life you're in right now is like you are busier than ever. Managing a budget with 100 categories is not practical. And even though I have a ton of categories, I've been doing this for seven years. You know, like you're just starting. And so don't do that. Don't play my game. Play your game. Yeah. And so we, we ended up consolidating it down. I think she now has like maybe eight categories. It's just way more way manageable. easier manageable. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, don't watch YouTube videos and see, I mean, watch YouTube videos. I struggle but, with but this like, big time though. It's really hard. Because you look and you see people that have like 10, 15, 20, 30 years of experience totally. doing like these awesome things. And you're like, oh, well, I want to do that. I and I'll do just that. like jump right to that. Yes. It's like, no, you can't. You got to yep. work up to that. You got to work up to it. So it's really easy, especially on YouTube, because you, you can find like, if you just type in like budget with me, for example, that phrase, there's so many YouTubers who like literally show you their budget and walk you through while I do this and then that and you can watch all those things and then feel like I should be doing all these Mm -hmm. things and it's like look watch them take away nuggets from them but you have to create your own game uh, that's going to work for you and your situation you've got to massage it for your own your own strengths and weaknesses and so I just I think that's really really important when it comes to your habits when it comes to your money when it comes to everything yeah you gotta look at that it's like the pros and cons of social media and the internet and stuff you know like there's a ton of inspiration out there to see like oh wow people are doing this Um, but then you also have to remember to like step back and um, and go okay if if that's what I want to work towards what what should I be doing right now and it's probably a much scaled down version yep um okay we can't talk about that without um you know your strengths and weaknesses and finding like your game to play and all of that stuff without reading the scott adams quote and i know we've shared this before but um scott adams is the creator of dilbert and he has this quote everyone has at least a few areas in which they could be the top 25 percent with some effort in my case i can draw better than most people but i'm hardly an artist and i'm not any funnier than the average stand-up comedian who never makes it big but i'm funnier than most people the magic is that few people can draw well and write jokes it's the combination of the two that makes what I do so rare. And when you add in my business background, suddenly I had a topic that few cartoonists could hope to understand without living it. So I think that whole idea is just really cool. It is. And um, remembering almost like taking the pressure off yourself and going like, you know, we all have these like unique life experiences and different combinations of things that we like and are good at and um things that we participate in and whatever and kind of just trust that just work get that like overall vision for your life and like what you're working towards start working on that and then like trust that you'll kind of figure out how all these pieces fit together for your strengths you know what I mean I mean like not saying not to think about it but trust that as you're taking action you'll figure it out yeah well and it's it's also like um trying to be aware self-aware throughout the process right so like with budgeting 
I have heard so many people go, I've tried, this is my fifth time trying YNAB. But when I really talk to them about it, they haven't really changed much in between each time. It was just like, I'm going to recommit to being more disciplined. Yeah. And it's like, hey, maybe you don't need to just like, Try to muscle your way. Muscle it harder. Maybe you just need to change your approach to it. Mm -hmm. Right? That's this is obviously not fitting your natural strengths. Yeah. Um, and so if you keep hitting walls, don't just try to do the same thing over and over again. Probably there's something going on here that's not suiting your natural abilities, and we should just make a minor adjustment in order to make it more suitable for you. Yeah. Um, this ties in perfectly to like how we want to wrap this up, which is with the idea of um, reflection and review. Yeah. And for us, this looks like quarterly planning. Mm -hmm. James Clear talks about, he does like a, I think he does annual. Yeah. He's got an annual review. And then what did he call it? Oh, an annual review and his, and an integrity report. And I think he does his integrity report like six months, you know, halfway through the year. He says that it helps him realize like where he went wrong, helps motivate him to get back on course and then it's a time to like revisit core values and consider, am I living in accordance with what I say are my core values? And if I'm not, then have I misidentified my core values or have I just not set myself up properly to be able to work towards them? You know, like kind of what's going on there. But it also gives you an opportunity to like see what's working, what's not, right? Yeah. So like with us, we do a quarterly planning and, um, you know, we just, we came out with a video on YouTube last week. Uh, about why we moved. Um, so if you haven't seen that, check that out if that's interesting to you. But we got a number of comments asking more about our vision and our planning routine and like how we do our quarterly planning. But the point I wanted to make is like, there are very few core values that change for us. Like we want to be wise with our money. We want to be healthy. We want to pursue Christ. We want to support our family well. You know, those kind of things don't change much quarter to quarter, uh, year to year. But the habits or the systems that we're using to try and do those things are always up for discussion during these quarterly meetings. To go back to the point you made earlier, as it relates to being healthy, we've tried to make working out be the first thing we do in the morning, and it just hasn't worked. Yeah. And so at our most recent quarterly meeting, we were like, hey, let's just change this. Mm -hmm. like, we still want to work out. That's a habit we still want to do. But the sequencing of when we're doing it is not working it's not for helping us. us. Yeah. So let's change it. Let's take what we've learned from the atomic habits and apply it elsewhere in our day or routine or whatever. And so as part of our quarterly planning, I think that's what people get can get hung up on with a book like this is they think, oh, well... I need to implement this. And then, and then, you know, that's just what I do forever. And it's like, no, like you, you have to Adjust. have a, a regular yeah. rhythm for critiquing your process and adjusting and making a change based on what's working and what's not working. Yeah. And I think, um, along those lines, just being realistic about what season you're in. Yeah. And so like, there are some things that Nick and I are going to try to do once we are set up in our apartment that we are not trying to do right now. No. Um, you know, like we're living in the basement with my parents and, and our routines are just different than what they will be when it's, when we are like at our building. Totally. But if we tried to like muscle our way to do all the things that we plan to do in the building now, we, it would just be miserable. Yeah. 
Um, and if we tried to stick to that same routine that we want to have when we're in our own space, it would feel really miserable and we wouldn't be enjoying our time here. And so just looking and going like, okay, well, I'm in this season right now, so I'm going to enjoy that. And I can, I'll work on optimizing these things later. Yep. All right. I feel pretty good about that. You want any, you want to add anything else there? No, I feel good. Um, if you're into habit stuff and you haven't read this book, I, I do think it's really worth your read. It's a really, a, it's a thick book. But it's a quick read. It's it's written in a way. Really, I would disagree. You I felt like so? it was very dense. Yeah, I mean, um, not that it's it's not hard to read. I just read when I was reading it. There was constantly stuff that I was wanting to mark or take note of, and so it took me longer to read it because I, every, everything because it was so good essentially because everything I was like, oh yeah, I need to remember I that. Guess, I guess maybe I think it's a quick read because he does a good job summarizing it. So like he does. you you honestly could just read through this book without marking anything mm-hmm. and then go look at the chapter summaries and then just go back and look at his chapter summaries yeah um once you have the context for whatever he's talking about yeah he's and, laid it out in a very digestible and way work it. i agree yeah all right well it's been a long time since we've done stuff we like oh yeah what do you uh what do you like in these days um i'm gonna have to talk about our sonic suitcase in Fairhope. There is a record store called Dr. Music Records. Like a record record record. Yeah. And the guy who owns it also makes sonic suitcases, which are like boom boxes that he puts in vintage suitcases. suitcases. And I have really, really liked them ever since we moved there and saw them. And they felt very quintessential Fairhope. Mm-hmm. And so I had wanted one. And I found this one in particular that I really wanted. I really liked the type of suitcase that it was in. And I showed it to Nick and he kind of played it like, I I just, it's not a great time. I don't want to buy that right now. You know, like we're about to be in this transition period because we had already decided to move and stuff. So I was like, okay, I get it. Totally understand. And then um, a few months later, it showed up on our (laughs) anniversary. Yeah. So you surprised me. Um, And we got a good laugh about how easy I am to surprise because like we literally when we were moving and like moving boxes into our storage unit at one point I apparently picked up the box that the Sonic suitcase was in and it's these like black storage boxes with yellow lids on them and I was like oh what is this and I like was about to open it and Nick was like oh it's just some camping stuff and I was like oh okay and just like put it like totally lost interest in camping stuff it's a boombox we'll use it when we're camping you know (laughs) So anyways, that was very nice of you. And I love my Sonic suitcase. But if you're interested in boomboxes or music or whatever, you should look up. I, I think if you type in Sonic suitcase, If you suitcase, Google it Sonic suitcase, it'll Yeah, right Sonic up. suitcase, Dr. Music. Yeah. Um, they're fun. He does a good job. They sound awesome. They do sound really good. Yeah. And it's going to look great, like, as part of our decor. It I'm will. very excited. It will. So. All right. Thanks, y'all, for listening. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Bye.